This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate. Then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Wait, you're listening. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. You're listening listening to Radio Lab. Radio Lab. Shorts! From WNYC and NPR. Hey everyone, I'm Jad Abumrad. I'm Robert Krilwich. This is Radio Lab, the podcast. Robert and I are about to go on tour, literally in a few hours, to LA and Seattle. Yep. But before we do, um, we leave you with. Uh, um, well, why don't you set it up? Well, this is just a one of those crazy and wonderful conversations that just popped into being. Uh, one of my favorite books of the last couple of years was a book called The Age of Wonder. It was written by Richard Holmes, and it describes a particular group of people, a bunch of people who kind of invented modern science sort of together in the 1780s, the 1790s, and the early 1800s, a crazy and wonderful group, balloonists and explorers and astronomers who believed that the world was full of miracles and surprising rules that could be detected if you looked hard and experimented. And experimentation was their thing. Anyway, <laughs> I was talking to Mr. Holmes about his book. You can move a little to yeah. the left. Why he wrote it and how it all came into being. Can I move that just a bit forward? And um, okay. I began the conversation by mentioning somebody's name. name. It's Evariste Galois. Evariste Galois. So, like, what happened to you? <laughs> okay. This is a great, great story. Uh, it's to do with how I fell into writing science after literature. Uh, uh, there are various reasons for this. Um, I had a, what I call a lost scientific childhood, which we won't go into now. But in fact, as a as a kid, I was fascinated by science, and because of the the, the way liter- literature, you, the education is sort of streamed, yeah. I was taken away from that. I, as a kid, I could build radios, I could strip motorcycle engine, I flew model airplanes. Oh, so you were one of those. So I was one of those, yeah. and I had a wonderful uncle in the Royal Air Force who taught me a lot about flight, and actually, I can now say it, once smuggled me in to a V-bomber, an atomic bomber. I have to say, it was we didn't take you off. where there were bombs? It, 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 it was not loaded. Oh, it, good. It, it, was, yeah. it was one of those big V-bombers that could carry. He smuggled carry. you in in a nice way as a tourist, or he thought maybe he was going to drop you out of something? <laughs> no, he thought, he thought I sh- here was the kid, let's educate him. So he took me in, he showed me how it worked, sat me in the co-pilot wow. seat. We were still on the ground, we was not armed, <laughs> and then he smuggled me out again. I've never forgotten it. it was how were you smuggled? Under a coat? No, he just, it was, just, it was uh, on the parkway. It was his plane. Ah. It had his name on it. He was the pilot. Okay, and he said, oh, I don't know what he said to the engineer. Oh, I would just, oh, I'd, I'd take, take my nephew in, you know. <laughs> so so okay. I, I had that lost under which, which all began to come back when I started work on the Romantic Scientist. I also had this amazing break, and we're getting to Everest Galois now. 
I was given what they call a visiting fellowship at Trinity College, Cambridge. That's Cambridge, England. Mm-hmm. This is Newton's College, also Barron's College. Mm-hmm. It's famous for its scientists, among other things, astrophysics particularly, and mathematics. And one... You, but you're invited you, as a writer you, about poets. You've been now writing biographies and books about poets. That's right. Poetry. And I was t- meant to be doing research thing on biography, the history of bio- literary biography. Okay. And what actually happened was I found these wonderful scientific archetypes, particularly the letters of Herschel. They're kept there huh. um, in Cambridge. And I started reading those. He's talking about William and Carolyn Herschel. This is a brother and sister team that uh, did built big telescopes and made all kinds of fascinating discoveries about stars and planets in those days. And uh, and gradually, I was drawn. I thought, this is absolutely wonderful. And this all this, this lost side of me started floating back. Plus, uh, at Trinity, there's this tradition, they talk about the high table, it's actually very democratic. You go in every evening uh, to have a very rapid dinner but you sit next to whoever happens to be there. There's no system of seating. Okay. So this is you and all the other teachers? Uh, uh, this is No, this is all the, the senior research faculty and so on. Okay. So these are people of, impo- uh, these are weighty people. There were seven Nobel Prize winners. Oh, okay. oh very. And, I, and I sat next to each of them at various points, all right. And is this is one of these long tables yes, that's where right. every plate is set that's perfectly right. and every knife is that's perfectly angled. exactly angry. right. So it's very formal. Very formal, silverware, jugs of water and so on. And you talk basically to the person on your left or your right. Mm-hmm. And you have to talk fast because they don't, uh, you imagine, you know, these dons sit around boozing. They don't. The thing I've really noticed, the meal would, probably it'd be over in about 25 minutes. Amazing, oh. okay? And you talked. And once you got talking, I often never had time to finish my meal because it was. I would sit next to, I'd be next to an astrophysicist. And the famous thing I... Which for me, and this was candy for you at this point, like you were just I, lapping it, it up. It was yes. I mean, I was absolutely riveted, and I found things like scientists love to discuss their science. They are very often very good at describing it, which I loved compared with some of the literary dons. You know, God, and you're going to literary theory, and these guys want you to understand, and I love that. On this particular occasion, I sat down to next to a man who became clear a that he was Russian and he spoke no English at all, and B, that he was a mathematician, okay? About which you know... About which I knew very little. I was trying to learn a bit to, to catch up with the Herschels, very, very little. So, and I thought, I cannot let this pass. There's no possibility of communication, but... So you, on, you don't have the math in common or, or the, the language. language. Yes, yeah. okay. So, I think about this for a moment, and in studying, beginning to study this period, I have indeed been looking at the the mathematicians of this period and the French mathematicians of this period are where the cutting edge is. And there's one particular... You're studying, what, the 1790s? Yes, uh, uh, exactly, particularly during the French Revolution, all right. And there's a young mathematician whose name was Évariste Gallois. Évariste Gallois itself is music to my ears. (laughs) And and he lived... His life was as short as a romantic poet. Um, He, from... At school, he was at the Lycée Le Grand, I think. Got thrown out of almost every institution he was in. But he had a natural gift for mathematics, theoretical mathematics. And he also was politically rather radical. And to cut this story short, in a, I forget the exact date, but maybe about around about 1820, something like that, um, he was writing 
on the theory of mathematics, number theory, in a more advanced way than anybody could understand. He sent in papers to the academy. and they were Even sent, at the age of 1920? Yes, 1920, 21 he was, okay. And then he was developing a theory, which we'll come to, which um, he got involved in, we're not quite sure if it was a political thing, but it involved a duel. He was challenged to a duel, and we think it was over a young woman, as so many duels are if you're 18, 19, or 20. <laughs> and he is summoned out to have this duel in the Bois de Boulogne. And the night before this duel, he sits down and he writes a mathematical paper. He puts in everything he knows into this single paper. And it's very moving. I've seen the manuscript. I have some grasp of what's going on, but it's also that there are lines of poetry in it. There are lines which are clearly about this girl. We don't know quite what, we don't know what her name was. Oh my God. And the repeated thing is, I have no time. I have no time. There is no time. So he's cramming this all in until dawn. I mean, it's an unbelievable situation, huh. this paper. And the math is in there too. And the math is in there too, okay. And he, get, he completes this theory, and we'll come to this in a moment. Uh, and then he goes out, and he's shot, and he dies. And this paper is left on his desk, and his great friend saves it, and it's published about, I think, about 20 years later. The math bits? or The maths. And it, not it, the love stuff. Not the love stuff. Um, and it's the beginning of a stage uh, mathematical theory, which is called group theory. Group theory, all right? Mm -hmm. Now, this much I knew. And very, very broadly, here's my analogy to what group theory is. A very, very dangerous this. Uh, it's to do with certain kinds of equation, all right? Mm -hmm. that, you know, those things with an equal sign and A, B, and anything like that, okay? <laughs> and it, it, it involves what they call cubics. So when something as it, uh, x to the power of 3, it's a particular form of equation which will you cannot work it. It will not produce the result. It will when it's squared, but not when it's cubed or when it's, what would it be called, four times and so on. Okay. So it's a temperamental it, equation. It's a temperamental equation, and no mathematician had found a way of solving it at the higher power, all right? So the analogy is it's like a box which when it reaches a certain size, you can't open it anymore. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, group theory will be... This is my version of it, mm -hmm. which I'd vaguely come to understand. It's like you can't open that box. So what you do is you put that box inside a bigger box, and you can open the bigger box, and that somehow lets you into the little one. Ah. Okay, I can't take you further than I that. I don't but, need to okay, go any further. Okay. 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 Right. So back to the Russian mathematician. So I turned to him, as it were, with, with the soup thing still in my hand, and I said... Everest Galois. I mean, you just needed to start the conversation? That's right. That's the only thing I could think of doing. I you could, just blurted out the I name just said of a 19-year-old ancient French mathematician. Yeah, not so ancient, romantic French <laughs> mathematician. I looked him dead between the eyes. I said, Everest Galois. And there was a pause. And it, <laughs> to this day, this wonderful thing, he looked at me and this sort of ceramic grin crossed his face. And then he did this gesture, which you cannot see being radio, which is so visual. But what it is, his right hand went over his heart as if he was saluting the flag, all right? And then both hands went outwards in a big embracing gesture. And what he was saying to me to start off was, every scalois so dear to my heart and to any mathematician, all right? And then the big gesture meant he invented group theory, okay? And then he looked at me and then his smile got bigger. And then he leaned across the table 
and he pulled in all the crockery, the silver water jug, the knife, the fork, the plates, and he showed me group theory of what I tried to explain to you, the little box inside the big box, in terms of the knife, forks, spoons, plates, salt cellars. No words. No words. We no. Could, there was no words. I knew he was talking about group theory. And that's how he explained it to me. So if I hear the sound first of a hand going, <gasps> yes, like that's, that. right, that's right. And then I hear the clanking of silverware. Well, there's this wonderful gesture which goes oh, yes. spreads right in the broad yes. gesture. Yes. And in a wonderful way, and it's very Trinity this, none of the other dons turn a hair. The fact that he's he's dragging all the crockery over and thinks, you know, yes, yes, of course, you know, what else would we expect? (laughs) And there he is explaining to me and giving this model that I've tried to explain on air as the the little box you can't open, you put it in a bigger box. But this conversation was. Ten minutes long? Seven okay. minutes well, long? Well, it couldn't be more than 25 because the dinners never right. lasted more. I think that was one of the days I don't think I ate anything from the thing. I think I had a glass of water. Maybe I had a glass of wine, probably, to keep myself going. But that whole conversation took place wordlessly. Yes. And I say that for sort of the period of time, that 20 minutes, I sort of understood group theory because he somehow the way he did it, I thought, oh, huh. yes, okay, it's that, it's that, it's that. And to me, it was kind of, it was a one, it was a sort of revelation moment, really. And I thought, I love you science people, that you won't, nothing will stop you. You are jolly well going to explain this. And also I felt, you know, here I am sitting at one of the great universities with this chance to learn. Okay, and learn a new field. And so this guy, this wonderful Russian mathematician, he's done this to me. I am now going to, I will work at this and try and produce. I know this is a big leap, but it was in my mind. I will try and write a book that will somehow do the same thing. I don't know how the hell I'm going to do this at this time, okay? I don't know enough science, but I'll work at it. And that's how he got to write The Age of Wonder, which was the best book of the year from the National Academies of Science and Engineering and whatever the other one is. And it's, a, it's a, it is such a, oh, man. I mean, it was It's a, kind of an adventure story. It's an adventure. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so that's Richard Holmes. And I guess that's the podcast. Uh, it is. I'm Jad Abumrad. And I'm Robert Krolwich. Thanks for listening. I'm from Washington, D.C. I listen to Radio Lab. Here is the thing you sent me. Uh, Radio Lab is supported in part by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science and technology in the modern world. More information about Sloan at www.sloan.org. Okay, I guess that's it. Thanks, guys. On Notes from America, we have conversations with people across the country about how we can truly become the nation that we claim to be. Each week, we talk about race, our politics, education, relationships, usually all of them, because everything's connected. And you, our listeners, are at the center of those conversations. I'm Kai Wright. Join me on Notes from America, wherever you get your podcasts.